want to just talk a little bit about where we were, we are in our study. We are studying the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, for those that aren't familiar with it, is a letter from a man named Paul to the church in Ephesus, which is a well, ancient territory in the modern day country of Turkey. And there is a church that is there. You can visit Ephesus today. It's all ruins. Um, it was a city in the Roman region or the Roman during the Roman Empire. And so this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church that was there. It's a beautiful letter. I think it's probably one of the most uh, doctrinally rich texts that the church has um, today. And we're going to be looking at it, particularly Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Um, this is where we're going to study today, verses 15 and 16. But you'll notice that in our bulletin, we have verses 11 through 16. And that's because I want you to see verse 15 and 16 in the context of where it is said. Last week, we looked at verses 11 through 14. And one of the things that I brought about in these verses is the gift of pastoral leadership. And, and that it is actually a gift of God for pastors to be in your life. But the pastors have a very specific role. And that is to equip the church to do the work of ministry. I said very simply, it is the job of the pastor to proclaim the gospel on week in and week out, and also to equip, to, to prepare, to help you to do the work of ministry. That it is the job of the saints, the people in the church, that are to do it. And this week, what we're going to look at, verse 15 and 16, what verses 15 and 16 are is how you do it. How you do your work. How the people in the church build up the church. So with that being said, let me read God's word and then we'll study it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I shared this story a few months ago, but I'm going to share it again. 20 years ago, a man named Michael Beck worked as a bartender in central London. While working in this industry, he developed a terrible addiction to cocaine and hit rock bottom. Like many addicts, he sought to get out of this lifestyle, and he thought he would do this by moving back to his native country of South Africa. But unfortunately, moving didn't help. After getting high one night, he overheard a TV preacher in the other room, and with nothing to do, he thought he would sit and watch the pre preacher so that he would have some fun mocking him. But God had a different plan. Beck didn't find the words of the preacher to be hokey, but rather sharp and straight to the point. Faced with his sin and need of a Savior, he gave his life to Christ while strung out on cocaine. And since that time, everything in his life has changed for the better. He is now a pastor of a church in New Zealand. Now, if you've spent any time in the church, and that's a true story, if you spend any time in the church, there's a good chance you've heard stories similar to this. These stories are often celebrated, and truth be told, rightly so. 
But here is a powerful story of someone who was dead and is now alive. But one of the things about stories like this is they also communicate something else. And that is this, that the purpose of the Christian life is simply to be converted. And once converted, the Christian life is about converting other people, and that's it. So those who were born in the church and raised in the church literally say, if I'm not converting people, then what of it? What about me? Sadly, the church has become always about converting, and that is a good thing. I don't want to minimize that. But is there something else in the church beyond just seeking to convert those who do not follow Jesus? One of the pastors who's had a significant impact on me is a man named Joe Nobinson. And I have these sermons that he gave many, many years ago. And these sermons are on the biblical doctrine of sanctification. Now, sanctification is indeed a big church word, but simply what sanctification means is it's increasingly becoming like Jesus. It's this process that Scripture talks about is of just looking increasingly more like Jesus. And so you'll hear things in the church like, I'm just being sanctified, meaning I'm increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus. And this man gave these sermons on sanctification. And in one of these sermons, he said something that absolutely startled me. That kind of confronted this conversion-focused church and life. And this is what he said. And he did, he's really like dramatic and theatrical too. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of channel my inner Joe Novenson. Okay, guys, so just bear with me. So he, 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 like he's almost on the verge of tears. He's, oh, this is what, oh, I wish I didn't have a story of being far from God and then a radical way being brought near. Oh, I wish I had the story of many of you growing up in the church, learn, learning its doctrines and following its ways. Oh, I wish, I wish I had that story. And here I was listening to this thinking that the whole of Christian life is trying to get other people to become Christians, being confronted with a pastor who's teaching stuff very profound. And truth be told, I had no idea what to do with these words. In my mind, the story of the the radical conversion of being strung out on cocaine is a far better story than being born in the church, raised in the church, teaching its doctrines, Knowing it all the days of my life, that, that's not the good story. The good story is the radical version. How do I make sense of that? And in truth, I didn't really understand it until I started to study this text today. I kid you not. It dawned on me. Because when he said it, I was like, I, I, don't, I don't actually believe that. I think it's actually really cool to be strung out on cocaine and in a moment's time to be converted. The story that I have, my own personal story of being raised in the church, that's kind of lame. Of course you're going to be a Christian. But that's not so. And I get now why Pastor Joe Novenson said what he said. You see, in the church, we do spend time seeking to convert people to our faith. But there's another reality, and that's the reality of the everyday Christian life. How are we to understand the Christian life? Well, when we look at our text this morning, there are two words that I want you to see in our text, particularly in verse 15 and 16. And the two words are grow. He says it twice. You can see it 
in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then it says down in verse 16, after he talks about this analogy of of the body and the joints and things like that, that, that when we do this, when we speak the truth, it makes the body, see this again, grow. Grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the truth of the Christian life is not just one of seeking to make other people aware of the truth of the gospel, but it's actually growing up into who we already are in Christ. It's about growing. And so when Joe Novenson can say, I would rather have been born in the church, raised in the church, and learned the doctrines, what he is saying is this. Do you realize if you were born and raised in the church, you are growing and you have so much more opportunity to grow in the church rather than just to be radically transformed in a moment's time. There is a sense in which we grow, in which we mature. And so the question becomes, how do we grow? How do we grow up into Christ, which is the heart of of our text this morning. And it is very simple. It's not profound. It's straight from the text. How do we grow? How do we grow? Look at verse 15. Speak the truth in love. You want to know how you grow up as a Christian? How you really grow up so that you're not tossed to and fro by the waves of this world? You receive the truth from one another in love. Speak the truth in love. This is how we grow. Now, it's simple, but we're going to look at what it means to speak the truth in love. Because it is my hope that we all grow in Him, as Paul mentions here. So how do we understand speaking the truth in love? We're going to look at what speaking the truth in love is not. So what it is not, Then we're going to look at what it is and how do we do it. So three questions we're going to ask in regards to speaking the truth in love that we might grow. So first, what it is not. Okay, it's a bit patronizing for me to say this, but let's just look at the phrase, speaking the truth in love. Come on, what is is it not? Well, it's not just speaking the truth. It is not simply just speaking the truth. The church of Jesus Christ stakes a claim to truth. Paul in in Ephesians 4 says there's one body, one faith, one Lord, one God who's over all, in all, through all. There is truth in this church. And the church's job is not to just speak the truth. It's not to just speak the truth. We even confess this today. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If we just speak eloquently and like the angels who know truth, what are we? A noisy gong or clanging cymbal. The church has truth, but it doesn't just speak the truth. Two years ago, I went to the Arkansas Razorback game over here at War Memorial. And while I was walking into the game on the corner of Markham and Fair Park, were these street preachers. You might have seen them before, and you might have known them. And they are out there yelling and screaming and holding placards that, you know what? They're true. They're absolutely true. 
the placards and what they're saying. But I have a very difficult time listening to them speak the truth. And do you know why? Because they're not speaking the truth in love. And so here I am with my son, who I want to know these truths, trying to get by them quickly. Why? Because these men are not speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is not just speaking the truth, though the truth is important. So speaking the truth in love is not just speaking the truth. At the same time, speaking the truth in love is not just speaking in love. Speaking in love is... Uh, I think if you were to ask people in the world, this is the way we should do it. John Lennon famously said, all we need is love. Why all this stuff about war and things like that? Let's just love one another. But in these statements that much of the world embraces and puts forward, it's as if love is detached from truth. And it's this relativistic, kind of everything goes. What's good for you is, is that's the way it should go. And much of the world is, hey, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is what's good for me. And let's not, let's not conflict. Let's just live in peace and harmony. But you see, if we just speak in love, we actually miss out on the truth. If everything is relative, then it's nothing matters. I love watching YouTube videos of people debate and one of my favorite persons to youtube is a guy named rabbi zacharias he's an indian man who's brilliant beyond belief and this man came up to him and says why what is your problem with relativism like he was just ticked off by rabbi zacharias's ability to to say hey there's truth and this man rabbi zacharias says do you lock your doors at night and the man said well yeah he says okay it's done you see, there's truth. There's, and so he's like, but, but what about China and things like this? And he says, yeah, but China has killed more people than any other modern day country. And you say it's secular. It's real. He's like, relativism does not hold up. If there's no truth, if, if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, then there is no truth. It's relative. And if I say I'm going to kill you, you have no say over that as well. So there's no truth. And so we don't just speak in love. We just don't say, hey, you're good with where you are. It's okay. You just keep, you just keep injecting yourself with poison. That's great. You do you. No. We speak the truth in love. So what does it mean to speak the truth? What doesn't it mean? Well, it doesn't mean to speak in truth, and it doesn't mean to speak in love. I want to ask you this question. Where do you find yourself in your relationships? Do you find yourself being more truth-oriented or more love-oriented? And there's a couple of different categories in which you can think of this because we might fall in different categories depending on the situation. As parents, some of us might fall into we're going to be hard on truth and low on love. In our, in our office, in our, if, if we have employees, we could be big on love and low on truth. Where do you fall? Do you fall more in the truth or fall more in the love? I want you to know that where I want you to go eventually is to speak the truth in love. And that's where we're going to turn our attention to now. What is speaking the truth in love? Speaking the truth in love is simply this. It's communicating the truth in, the, in a way that another can relate to it, understand it, 
and apply it to their life. Let me say this again. Speaking the truth is communicating the truth in a way that another can relate to it, understand it, and apply it to their life. Reality is truth is truth. There is right and there is wrong. And as Christians, we hold to these truths. It's important. And without truth, we are left without a foundation from which we can speak, do, work, live. But there is also love. Speaking the truth in love. What does it mean to love? Well, Paul gives us a definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and I want to draw your attention to it, and it comes right after what we confess. And here's what Paul defines love as. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. If you spend any time with me, especially if you meet with me, you know that one of my favorite questions to ask in a conversation, it's, it's one of my pastoral kind of like questions that I ask. I love to ask, what is love? I always ask that. What is love? Now, many of you have spent a lot of time with me especially the acres. They've been here this a lot. They know this better than anyone else in here. They know that I love to define love as a process of meeting needs. Love is a process of meeting needs. It's not this kind of like, love, baby, yeah. Man, it's just all good. No, love is definable. It is a process of meeting needs. It's that way in the Bible. First John, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation for our sins. In this, we see God meeting our needs through a process. Christ descending, taking upon Himself our sins in our place. Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a process of meeting needs. And so let's think about this process of meeting needs in relation to what Paul says in terms of speaking the truth in love. Let's just take his definition and think about this in in all realities of this. When we speak the truth, we speak the truth patiently. We speak the truth kindly. We speak the truth not boasting in our rightness, But understanding there might be people who might not be able to understand and to grasp the truth that we are speaking. We don't insist on our own way when we are speaking. We do not rejoice at wrongdoing, therefore we speak into wrongdoing, but we do it lovingly, patiently. We rejoice in the truth, meaning we speak when we see truth. Guess what? Yeah, you got it, man. We rejoice in the truth. You got it. This is what we need to be doing. Speaking the truth in love, taking Paul's definition. To speak the truth into love has so many different ways and categories and possibilities, but it is important, Paul says, that if we grow up in the church, that we speak the truth in love. I coach four and five year old soccer. It's amazing. And really, the truth is, having an extensive career in soccer, both as a player and as a coach at the high school level, um, 
I was more than equipped to coach four and five year olds. You know, I have a great understanding of the complexities of the game, the personalities of the players. I can handle them and deal with them. I understand the psychology of the referees and when to, you know, poke and prod the refs and when to lay off of them until you get a call from time to time. I understand the important tactical formations and strategies that go into soccer. I get it all. However, the problem is when you're standing in front of four and five year olds, these realities are nothing to them. What is, is the butterfly flying on the field. Look at the butterfly. How in the world do I speak truth and love to these kids in the midst of this? How do I show them the beauty of the complexity of the game? Well, i got to teach them the very basics of the game. And so we set up two goals on either side of the field. And we say, this is the goal you're trying to kick the ball into. And this is the goal you're trying to stop them into. Go, have fun. Because in them having fun and trying to score goals and to stop goals, this is what gives them the ability to understand the truth of the game. You see, it's the same thing in the church. That when we speak the truth, and there is truth that we have, we speak the truth in such a way that people can understand it. And understanding that in the life of the church, you're going to have people who are baby Christians, who just were converted, who said, I was strung out on cocaine last night and today I'm a Christian. And then you're going to have people who, who have known Jesus from the time they left the womb. They know Jesus all the days. And this is the beauty of the church. And so you have to deal with the complexities. How do you teach the people who just became Christians, and how do you teach people who've been Christians their whole lives? You see, we're all growing in the same way, and so it is that we speak the truth in love. It is difficult. It is discerning. And so this is how I want you to think about this, because this is your task. How are you going to speak the truth in love and build up the body of Christ? How are you going to speak the truth in love in such a way that it grows us all up the way that I do with these kids as they learn the game of soccer? Well, speak plainly, number one. Speak plainly the truth. Number two, be patient. Be patient with people. I don't, I don't expect our children downstairs to understand what the word sanctification is. In fact, I don't even have, you know, you don't even have to understand that by all any means. But for, for them to be able to understand what sanctification is, we have to be patient with them and to teach them some of the basics of the truth of the scriptures and things like that. So speak plainly. Be patient. And sometimes, be brave. Sometimes it's going to cost us a relationship because we have to speak truth into someone's life. And sometimes we have to be brave to speak the truth into their lives. But in order for us to be brave and to speak courageously into their lives, we've got to earn someone's trust. We have better done a lot more loving than speaking before we speak bravely into someone's life. This is a true statement that I want to give it to you. If I don't trust you and you speak into my life bravely, I will not receive what you speak into me. If I don't trust you and you speak bravely into my life, I won't listen to you. But if I trust you and you speak bravely, I will receive from you. And it's the same way with you. How do you earn trust? How do you earn trust of one another? Well, you love one another. You spend time with one another. You laugh together. You cry together. You go to ball games together. You do life together. 
You see, the, the whole thing about the Christian church is, why do we, why do we have potlucks from time to time? Why do we get together at the park on Sunday afternoons? Well, so that we can create this, this culture of trust where we trust one another. And trust comes when we laugh and when we sing and play and dance and do all the fun things of life so that we can trust one another and speak into each other's life. Is this a place where you can trust? I hope it is. Because when we trust one another, we can speak bravely into each other's life. We can speak the truth into each other's life. So speak simply. Be patient. Be brave. Okay. So we looked at what it is not, what it is. Lastly, how do we do it? How do we speak the truth in love? I'm not saying the specifics of doing it. I kind of spoke to that just a second ago. But where do we find the power to speak the truth in love? The answer to this is by encountering the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. You cannot read the gospel, that means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, without encountering the truth of Jesus Christ. Some of the things that Jesus said are very hard to hear. It is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. As Americans, guess what that means for us? We're in trouble. If you go through the Beatitudes of Jesus, if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus redefines what the law is, and if anything, He makes it much more difficult to follow than what it is. You see, the truth of Jesus is hard. It is, I would say, impossible for you to follow. We've got to encounter the truth of Jesus because it is encountering the truth of Jesus that we find that comes to the end of ourselves. No longer relying on ourselves. But see, we have to encounter His truth. But secondly, we have to encounter His love. I think one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is His willingness to reach out to those who were down and out in society. He, he was willing to go to those who were cast off, who were needy, and dependent on something or someone other than themselves. And it's a beautiful thing for us to encounter this love. But you see, We've got this truth of Jesus and this love of Jesus. How do we come to understand it? Is there a way in which love and truth come together? And my friends, indeed there is. Because the truth and the love of Christ comes together in the cross. You see, the reality of us, the truth of all of us, is that we have fallen short of what God has called us to do. Jesus' law is far too hard for us to follow. Jesus' law is a burden on us. And it's a burden so that it takes our feet and takes them out from under us, saying, you can't do it. Only I can. Only I can do the things that you're called to do. And so Jesus comes and He does the law which we could not do by our own strength. But He also demonstrates to us His love and that He gave His life for us on the cross. You see, on the cross of Jesus Christ, the truth and the love of the Gospel kiss. See, Jesus bared on His shoulder the consequences that we deserve for our sins. The truth of it is this. Because of your sins, there is wrath and punishment and destruction coming. 
same time, there is great love and mercy to those. And so we must encounter both the truth and the love of Christ and His cross if we are to do this for one another. My friends, have you encountered the truth and the love of Christ in His cross? If you have, you will then be able to patiently bear with those who sin against you, who fail to understand the very truth that you know. You will be able to be brave and, and walk into places and say, hey, I've been, I, I've been moved to go out into this place secure in the gospel. You will be able to speak the truth and love. After our membership class, um, I meet and I ask this question to you guys. Some, some of you have been through this. I ask this simple question. Would you ever be willing to share your story at church? I get up here and tell your story. And some people, when they hear this, they're like, well, what does this mean? Are you asking me to do this? Like, what? Right, let's talk about this. And that's not necessary because I, I like hearing stories. But I think some people, when they hear this question, they're like, listen, like my story is not all that great. My story is like, I've, I've kind of been a Christian my whole life. It's not really moving the ball forward, per se, you know. It's not about this big conversion. I've always been a Christian. And I look at them always, and I say, anyone, anyone who has gone from a sinner to a saint, is a profound story. And if anything, we should hear more stories of people who have been walking with Jesus and who are being growing up in the church all the days of their life. Because those are the people who have been spoken truth in love all the days of their life. I stole this from Kimberly. She said this as we were talking about this. Here's the beauty of the church. It's the only place that you can hear the truth, but you hear the truth in love. There's no other place as patient and as enduring and as gracious and as kind than the church. Where truth is spoken, but it is spoken in love. My friends, let us make a point to be in the church, reflecting on what Christ has done in His cross, where, where truth and love kiss and let us speak the truth and love with one another. Why? So that we grow up strong and secure, not tossed to and fro by the waves of this world, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes, by human cunning, and by every wind of doctrine. My friends, let us speak the truth in love that we may grow. There's nothing greater than growing up in the church. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness, especially to those of us who have grown up in the church. Indeed, it is a special gift to know you and to know your truth all the days of our life. Help us to remind, remind us, those that, that are in this case, of the great gift uh, that, that that is. Lord, for those that are new to the church, I also pray that they would be excited about the opportunity, about being a part of your body, that they will experience the truth and the love of your gospel and grow up into you. Lord, may this place be a place of truth, but also of love, a messy middle. Would you pray this in Jesus' name? Amen.